This is America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. When the American people understand that Medicare for All expands Medicare. You like your current insurance, you will keep your current insurance. We have a disaster called the big lie. Obamacare. What happens to those 29 people who have health insurance? This was simply an excuse to bring about what they wanted all the time, socialized medicine. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Here's your host, Sean McGuire. I've said uh, before many times that uh, the machines are taking over. Well, there's some really interesting things happening in healthcare as it relates to artificial intelligence. So we'll be talking about that. Also here by my side here in live in the studio, we've got Alan Hager, our co-host extraordinaire. You've uh, met him many times. We've also got Trent Majors joining us uh, on the program. Uh, We're going to be talking about reform and uh, the debt. You can read this. It's uh, from the Brookings Institute. And, of course, as I pull up my phone, <laughs> it falls down. Their key points were healthcare markets are becoming more consolidated, causing price increases for purchasers of health services. So that would be healthcare consumers yep. who are now seeing higher deductibles. This trend will continue for the foreseeable future despite antitrust enforcement. We, we've <laughs> talked about how there needs to be some sort of, of role. For some is now extensive in many markets, some from M&As, and another important part is uh, – the get, getting rid of these uh, smaller competitors. And so this is uh, bringing up something that we've talked about on rural health insurers. And then finally, uh, the environment is also challenging small insurers. And we've seen some co-ops in particular go out of business. Uh, we saw that news recently that they are have not been able to pay back that billion-dollar-plus amount. Right. right. And then one other point uh, that they uh, discussed was hospital mergers that are substantial and showing mergers leading to higher prices, although without any measured impact on quality. So even though they're consolidating in the hospital industry, it doesn't affect quality. Right. But it does lead to higher prices, as we have said time and time again. Let's get Trent Majors here into the program. Welcome to America's Healthcare Challenge. Great to have you on here. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't send you this story, so I apologize for that. But uh, as you're kind of hearing us talk about this and you've heard the the program before, uh, kind of interesting, isn't it, Uh, with all this consolidation and you've got an insurance background, you know, how do you see that impacting that industry? Well, not well. Thanks for having me on, by the way. But um, so you're you're really getting into some of the supply side on on healthcare and new hospitals, new clinics. You want to become a new doctor, you, you really can't even do it. You're you're stuck in uh, a really a bureaucratic nightmare to be able to do it. So there's a demand side issue and there's a supply side issue, right? So you talked about some of those uh, exchanges that are all going out of business. You know, surprisingly, when you have fifty million dollars in revenue and a hundred million dollars in expenses, you can't make money. <coughs> So I guess that's a big surprise to a lot of people going on right now. And $49 million of that was a subsidy that was taken from somebody else in the first place. Right, the right. U.S. And debt clock. $19.1 trillion. Oh, my number was outdated from yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the interest payment uh, on our federal debt is, is closing in on being the third largest expenditure of our government. Uh, just thought you should know about that. When we come back, Adam Matar going to be joining us. Adam is uh, principal of Matar Pacific. We're going to be talking about uh, some issues of like, what if we did deregulate healthcare a little bit? What would that look like? And actually, there's several examples of this happening already. 
uh, that you might already be aware of. We'll be right back. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. E.D. Bellis is a healthcare reform consulting company with valuable information that is up to date and easy to understand. We have solutions to manage compliance, minimize penalties and taxes, and all other options. Check out healthreformexplained.com. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge. Once again, here's Sean McGuire. Welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. Check out our Facebook page, so it's facebook.com slash America's Healthcare Challenge for all of our latest segments on our SoundCloud page, which we are right about at 500 segments there, Alan, yes. aren't we? Yes, to, uh, and, uh, you know, I like to listen to it when I go for a run or, or something like that, just to, it is kind of weird <laughs> listening to myself sometimes, but I like to, to make sure that we're bringing a good product and, uh, we're joined by uh, Trent Majors here on the program. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the, the debt situation, and right in a moment we're going to bring in Adam Matar from Matar Pacific. But uh, what was that number we found uh, during the break as far as unfunded liabilities that we're looking at? Un- unfunded, uh, U.S. unfunded liabilities was $101.5 trillion. And our GDP is, what, like uh, uh, 17 17 so it's all, all, almost uh, what six, yeah. six, seven. Well, we talk, well, in the gross debt to GDP ratio is one hundred four percent. So the only way you can fix these problems is to grow your way out of it. Right. I'm doing great, Sean and Trent. Thank you for having me today. And yeah, that's an interesting statement that that you're discussing regarding the unfunded liabilities that the government's carrying through Medicare and Medicaid, and. You know, it goes into what we've been discussing for the last couple of weeks privately regarding the free market and and the influence the government has on that. So we have an interesting situation in the U.S. where the the government regulates at the state level, at the local level, and at the federal level uh, how health care is provided, what access means, either through insurance or two providers. And they do so in a couple of different ways, right? You have the insurance side where the annual increases are regular, regulated at the state level. Then you have the government itself at the federal level uh, playing in arguably the free market, so to say, with their Medicare and Medicaid and the influence that they have in that respect. But I, I would argue that it's not necessarily a free market that we have to do most of the health care in the United States because of the level of influence that they have. What we have is the monopolistic situation here through most of the health care in the country because of the government's influence. And that has a, a, a number of, of unintended outcomes that, that we have to watch out for as the American public. And we have the price controls on one side, on the insurance, right, at the state level. And anyone that understands basic economics could understand what that means. When when the entity has the ability to control the prices. If they artificially set the prices too low, they could increase demand, right? Even go. They would go to licensed healthcare providers that are willing to provide care on the side in the black market. And, and care providers might have an incentive to do this because it's where they would have the ability to recoup the costs that 
they would not otherwise be able to get in a marketplace where the prices are controlled, right? So they could hypothetically charge more on the black market to provide quicker access uh, or better quality of care. Or people in need of care would go to unlicensed professionals to help them out. And you have a a quality issue. You know, know, their, their health is at risk when they do something like that. But yeah, maybe a good example would be years ago, 60s abortion clinics. Years ago, maybe today, nowadays. Uh, I haven't kept up with the regulations state by state uh, when it comes to abortions, but you re- when you reduce access, people will find a way if they need to. The marketplace will exist. The question is, w- would it be one that's out in the open and, and regulated and has professionals working in it or is it going to be one that is a black market? So, you know, that's one of the risks that you come with, with the price controls. Now, on the Medicare side, you know, it's interesting. The, the theory there is that with insurance, when everyone collectively pulls their funds together to go and buy care from providers, hypothetically, you're at a better negotiating position and, and you could play in the marketplace as a buyer in the space. But again, when, when it's the government that's involved doing it, it's doing so as a monopoly. And if you think the insurance companies are large, well, you guys touched on how large the government is in this space. An insurance company might be worth you know, something in the range of the billions, whereas the health care that the government has unfunded was, what do you say, at $1.1.5 trillion? Oh, our unfunded liabilities are over a hundred trillion dollars. Twenty-seven point six trillion of that is Medicare. Yeah. So you know, if you're an insurance company in this space, it doesn't matter if you're one of the largest companies in America. You you're still a, a small player compared to the government. Well, now your profit depends on how how many lobbyists you have and how many friends in D.C. you have. And some of, of them have the right. best ones. <laughs> well, when you talk about the free, the, the the free market. Uh, the ACA was put in place to help people who were uninsured, right? So it was going to be more affordable, right? That was that was what the name states. Uh, so it probably helped some people way on the low end, right? People who would have been helped if there would have been a catastrophic issue. A free market really, it helps the downtrodden. So, But what you really did was you just made it more expensive uh, for everybody. Right. And at the end of the day, I think yeah, this was more health insurance reform than total true health care reform. Sure. Well said. Sure. The, the dynamics of a monopoly in any space, and I've, I've seen this in, in real estate as well, too, is that they could paradoxically be both the, the high price in the marketplace and the low price because they, they essentially control the marketplace. So the, the uniqueness is, is that they inhibit innovation. So if you had a free market system and there is an opportunity for just some, for somebody to have an arbitrage position and, and make more money, say, in healthcare versus some other type of, of investment sector, they would invest into it, and you would find margins decreasing at the same time. So you, you would come, ideally, within equilibrium. Or you would start seeing them compete on quality or potentially both, and that's what, that's what innovation brings. You have the ability to in, compete on price, quality, and speed, or as we would say in healthcare, access, timely access. So, Adam, talk so, talk a little bit about some of the AI stuff that uh, you're familiar with um, that that could actually do some good, reduce some costs, and and 
and make health care uh, better for all of us? Well, before we go into that, I, I do want to, to talk about where we see a free market in health care, because one does exist. And I think it's important for your listeners to, to understand what that looks like and know that, that there is an alternative. Out there. That sounds good. More with Adam Matar, Matar Pacific, Trent Majors, and Alan Hager. I am Sean McGuire here on America's Healthcare Challenge. Uh, engage us here on Facebook. Uh, just search hashtag America's Healthcare Challenge. And when we come back, uh, we're going to uh, get into that artificial intelligence point and a little bit more of uh, how do we innovate in healthcare to grow out of this. We'll be right back. And welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. We're going to Oregon. We are in Oregon talking with Adam Matar of Matar Pacific out in Portland, Oregon. Uh, we got Alan Hager and Trent Majors here on the program. How you guys doing today? I'm doing great. You're doing good? I, I love being here. This is always a great place to be on Saturdays. Reporting the news on healthcare and your government. That's right. Adam, welcome back to the show. Thanks again for uh, joining us. Um, Thank you, Sean. Uh, we were talking about uh, some innovation in healthcare. What are you seeing? Uh, all right. So artificial intelligence is going to change everything. Uh, it, more ways than we could even imagine, and this is a wonderful thing. Medicine as a profession is maybe 100 years old in this country, and useful data, like what we find in the electronic medical records, is, is still very new. There is a lot that we don't know, and there is a lot that we think we know, but we might actually be wrong about. And AI will help us uh, with these problems. They, right now, it's being utilized to help find correlations in the data, not just between symptoms, but even between uh, the medicine that we provide and how we provide care. Uh, they're, they're, we're on the forefront of discovering secondary and tertiary uh, outcomes for, for procedures, uh, for medicines that we have, uh, and so on. It's a very exciting time, but what what's particularly interesting to me is the deep mind competition and the artificial intelligence that they use for that to basically beat the world champion at Go. And, and this is significant for a number of reasons, because it's unlike traditional artificial intelligence. Typical AI requires knowing having the answers in advance, and I'll get into why this is important for healthcare. So in order to build a traditional AI, it kind of looks like a data tree that, that says, if this, then this. So you can see why you have to know the outcomes in advance in that type of scenario. You can't build the data tree without knowing what the outcome would be to go on to the next, if, then, the, if this, then this portion of the tree. So if you ask a traditional AI a question and it produces the wrong answer, and you ask it the same question again, it will still give the same answer. And... That's, that's not necessarily a good thing in healthcare. What, what this artificial intelligence does, another AI that's like it that does not necessarily require knowing the outcomes in advance, um, it, it allows for healthcare providers uh, to potentially identify misdiagnoses early on. And so the difference there could be one mis misdiagnosis and changing direction versus misdiagnosing hundreds of thousands or millions of people. So the, the potential in terms of improving the quality of the outcomes and potentially even saving lives um, 
I think will be significant at the end of the day with the new type of artificial intelligence that's coming into healthcare. What about like 3D printers and printing organs? Do you see that happen? Yes. Yeah. There, there's, there are researchers and healthcare providers uh, doing that right now. Uh, I believe I read recently uh, somebody did that with a heart or with uh, components uh, of a heart. And I, I think it's fascinating. And there, there's an image I, that I think was most popular in the media where you could see an ear on the back of a rabbit or, or, a, uh, or a mouse that they could then uh, put back onto a person. We're at the forefront of a lot of technology that I think will make a significant difference in healthcare right now. So some of this stuff could could really be, uh, along with maybe some of the biotechnology, some of the nanotechnology, inputting AI into into some of those things, could really be you know the next electricity to to help us you know actually have some some terrific expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly. Yeah. We, we have the ability to simulate and scale with artificial intelligence at a rate that we uh, we would not otherwise be able to do if it were just a, a team of, frankly, human professionals collaborating to analyze the data and, and to derive outcomes from it. The, and the speed matters. You know, if, if you have uh, a major condition, you, you don't want to wait six months if you don't necessarily have six And the, the speed in which we innovate in healthcare could be the difference of life or death. Absolutely. So bringing in artificial intelligence to, to all of these aspects, I, I think will make uh, a big difference in the, the quality of life for most people in the world, uh, the longevity of life as well, too. Well, Adam, wouldn't it allow us to really personalize medicine and 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 not only just cause a lot of prevention, uh, but just make you be able to live longer, healthier, because it's made for you. That's right. Yeah. So right now, uh, healthcare providers will will basically look at a snapshot of, of your condition, whether it's on a medical chart or if you're inside of a hospital. They'll, they'll look at what's available at that point in time, but they don't have a lot of history with you. They don't have. They don't necessarily have the time to read the history or even the data is not even provided to them. So all they get is a snapshot when they walk in to read the data, and that's it. And so they base your probable outcomes and the suggested care for you based on your demographics and with a, with a slight blend of your own personal data. It, it, it's part art, part science. Well, Adam, this is Alan. Sorry to interrupt. Um, there's a, a company based out of Portland called Acalex. And they've de- they they are involved in artificial intelligence. And I'm just wondering, since you're out in Oregon, if you know anything about them, because what they're doing is they've uh, created a adaptive learning tool that helps caregivers deliver care by providing guidance based on a patient specific profile. Mm-hmm. And so I, when, when we I talk about, go ahead. I don't perfectly know the company, but I I think that's a phenomenal tool. So um, imagine if ninety percent of the diagnosis that a doctor would provide or the recommended care, they already know the answer to once they get the information based on your demographics and based on your own chart. Well, if they already know the answer to it 90% of the time, to have a tool that uh, uh, that assists them in providing that those types of recommendations, that means that a care provider could focus on really high-value uh, care and problem-solving that a machine still cannot do. 
it, it could potentially reduce, reduce or limit the paperwork that a doctor has to do, um, uh, unnecessary time with the patient. It can improve the access to care and improve the quality of care at the same time. Right. It puts the it puts the focus back on taking care of the patient rather than all the other things surrounding the patient. So, so Sean, from a, from a policy standpoint, how do we actually facilitate these types of things? Because to be honest, the, the ACA and those types of things, they are focused on the lowest common denominator. They're mm-hmm. not focused on innovation. They're not focused on, on new ways to move us forward. It's, it's focused on bringing everyone to even. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do we do from a policy standpoint to, to really facilitate this? Well, I think there has to be some sort of uh, incentive for innovation in the industry. And I think that's probably the best first step. And I don't know how you would make that, what that would look like, whether that would be tax credits or money. It's money. Well, I was going to say, it's kind of like when we talked about the hospitals being, you know, given dollars for uh, converting to electronic medical records through the omnibus or through the, the latest know, bill, the latest one, yeah. the latest bill, or through the high tech law, or through the affordable, the uh, uh, the uh, stimulus bill back in two thousand eight. You know they put money in there for hospitals to maneuver to sure. EHR. So I think that maybe something on the lines of that, or you know, when they were moving towards meaningful use, you know, some type of reimbursement or incentive. There just ha- there has to be an environment where people want to do a startup in Silicon Valley or wherever based on solving a problem in healthcare. Well, so and, I have a challenge for you then. What's look that? at the size of the healthcare as a percentage of the economy, and and look at other industries like say retail or shipping, and then look at the amount of venture capital dollars going into each one of those sectors. You're gonna dis- you're gonna find the healthcare has a disproportionately less amount of capital going into the innovation than other sectors. You need to figure out why that is. How do we get that capital off the sidelines, I guess, and and into into that industry? The the capital wants to go into the space. But they don't understand it because it's so complex. Well, it's not a free market system. That's part of the challenge. It's a command and control economy, and so you have to operate differently. The the challenge is that you, you almost have to deal with the incumbents. And with the current regulatory structure and then of course, the the negotiating power of Medicare and Medicaid. Again, I go back to where's the incentive to innovate? Well, when you have regulations that are killing innovation, you know, you're going to have, I mean, that's all about policy. That's all about right. getting the right people in the power to open up the free markets and the power of the American mind taking over and getting things done because we are the most innovative society on planet. There is a lot of opportunity. I mean, it's just like you said, it's so massive. Well, I mean, we have some real experiments. Oscar is a, is a company out of New York that is a startup that, that started because, you know, facilitated through the, uh, some of the ACA stuff and, you know, they're expanding. So, and, and they're growing pretty quickly. So we do have a couple of, of things happening um, I know in the PNC market that a lot of capital, to Adam's point, a lot more capital wants to come in, like it's dying to come in because it's looking at the size of the market uh, right. and going. Like you just need we a little can p- disrupt. Yeah, yeah. We can disrupt this, um, but it's not as fun as creating a social network, I guess. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I think it's a little more complex than that. The, the startups that have, that have attempted to get into this space have, have 
found uh, it to be very challenging to drive innovation because they would go, say, to the, to the main customers, the, the incumbent systems that, that are involved. Well, what incentive do those systems have to adopt the innovation? It goes back to, to the policy. It goes back to um, who is paying for it. So let's talk about telemedicine as an example. It, or, or remote medicine, whether it's over email or over a phone call. How many insurance companies, maybe even Medicare and Medicaid, I haven't looked it up, how many of them actually reimburse providers for doing that? Not many. Well, there you go. Okay. And in all likelihood, I would suspect, again, I haven't looked this up, um, that they're following the market that Medicare and Medicaid sets for what they buy. Well, and you're, you hit the nail right on the head on that. It's Medicare and Medicaid that are setting the marketplace. And not the, the incumbents the are entrenched too. Yes. I mean, and yeah, there's so, no incentive so to maintain you, to fight the profits that they've got. To innovate, you 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 almost have to make the existing incumbents irrelevant in the space that you're entering into. Either you're providing care to uh, to a population that they don't see profitable or, or worth growing into, or or they find already to be at a loss for them. So they're, they're happy that you're entering that marketplace. Or you're opening up brand new markets that they're not even in yet. Well, and I would I would bounce off of that and say, you know, there are hospitals that may not be able to afford having, you know, large robots and artificial intelligence in their hospitals or their data centers. But, man, they sure can't afford the cloud. And it's really driven down the cost. And if you start to look at things like that, you know, at the end of the day, we need more innovation in those uh, areas. We need some innovation in robots' bedside manner. Yeah. Yes. Is it going to be like the robot from Star Wars? That one had pretty good bedside manner. The the gold one. Which one was that? C three PO. Yeah. Really? The didn't gold you, one. Didn't you think it'd be, that'd be a good? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Adam. He's kind of whiny. I don't know. Right. Yeah. He's right. always been whiny. Well, maybe not then. Adam, any final thoughts here? We're running up the uh, end of the show. Thanks again for coming on. You know, I think it's an interesting conversation to talk about free market and innovation. They, they're more tied together than people think because it goes back to incentives and policies. And those that control the marketplace are the ones that create the incentives uh, for both innovation as well as, as for uh, quality improvements and price reduction. And it, it, it's a very complicated system. The U.S. healthcare system it, it does not operate like a free market, like other parts of our economy. And I, I think once people recognize that, they, they can start to better understand how to maneuver within it and, and understand why they can't afford, in some instances, to, to get the quality of care that they need. It, it comes down to economics, and it comes, it comes down to policy. Right. Well, that was Adam Matar from Matar Pacific. Thanks so much for joining us, my friend. Predictions, guys? Uh, yeah. At artificial intelligence, and as we've always talked about on this show, AI and IT are the wave of the future. And, you know, I saw an article. We've talked about hospital mergers, the one in West Virginia especially. Mm. Uh, the uh, legislature is actually looking at legislation to avoid the FTC uh, on that and uh it's cleared several regulatory hurdles here, so I would predict that that merger will go through and harm the people of Western West East, Eastern and Western Western West Virginia. I'd predict for the long term that our lives will continue to get better. You think so? Because that's the type Amen. of uh, species we are. 
That's right. Adapt and overcome. Through technology and other means? Through our brains. Through our brains? That's right. All right. And you did your part by improving your brain by listening to the program. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to check out America's Healthcare Challenge. Make sure to uh, like our Facebook page if you like uh, these segments during the week. And we will see you next time.